So you got people that's on the other side of this camera that may be thinking, all right, how do I start my business? What is that infrastructure? Legally, what should they be thinking about? Because this is a conversation that a lot of startup, African-American startup entrepreneurs just are not privy to. So what, what, what should we be considering when we're structuring our organization legally? I mean, I, I think that if we, if we want to talk from a legal aspect, you want to just think what is the proper form for your business. Okay. Uh, you are looking at it from a tax perspective. But, you know, more importantly, one of the things that you're looking at is you want to be able to have yourself protected from liability gotcha. because there's a chance that you're going to have employees. Your employees could do something. Anyone can do something. And you don't want to... Uh, have your business have something that happens there receive some type of judgment and now you end up losing your home or, yeah, or you yeah. lose your resources so so that is uh one of the aspects that you're thinking about is just asset it's just asset protection yeah but one advice that i would give to entrepreneur as they're starting is to make sure that you just lay out your plan man okay so you got to lay out your plan and a key 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 for an entrepreneur is you have to have self-awareness. Okay. So you have to have a level of humility, but yet and still be completely confident in yourself. Okay. And you have that humility has to come in because you have to be able to be like, look, man, I could do this and this and this. Yeah. I'm not good at marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, or I can do this and this and this. Yeah. I'm not good at finance. Gotcha. Or I can do this and this and this. But I'm not good at operations. Yeah. And so if you can give an honest assessment and you can really find what your blind spot is or what your weak spot is, you're going to have a complete advantage yeah. because now you're coming mm -hmm. into it already knowing and yeah. you can identify a person to fill in for that blank for you. Yeah. You know, you can find, you might make the best, you know, you might make the best stake in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, you might make the best stake in the world, but you know nothing about marketing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or, or you may be the best cook in the world, but you know nothing about running the front of the house. Yeah, you know yeah. nothing about the customer service aspect. You know nothing about procuring the best deals for the products that you're buying. For sure. You know, so so you have to make sure that you look at yourself and you give an honest assessment, and then you fill in, mm -hmm. you know, where necessary. Yo, what's going on, Equity Chasers? Listen, I know you guys are enjoying the episode. Real quick, I know that you guys have already subscribed to the channel, so that's not why I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you guys because we have some major things that we're going to be rolling out. So what I need you to do is pause the video, go down to the description. Right above the description of the video, you're going to see a link. That link is going to give you access to our email list. I need you to subscribe. So when we roll out some of these things, you'll be one of the few that can get into the room. What are we going to roll out? We're going to be opening up our studios this summer. We're going to be letting you guys come in. We're going to be letting you guys watch us record live. We also have some live events planned. We have a lot of things that we're going to be rolling out for you, the entrepreneur who's looking to take your business, your game to the next level this summer. You're going to want to hit that email list and tap in. So look, let's do this. Let's get back to the video. Thank you. Yo, what's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Tap Network. Listen, man, I am excited about this conversation. I have attorney Henry Reeves in the building, man. Look, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come by and do this, man. This is gonna be uh, it's gonna be an important conversation. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, sir. Man. I'm definitely excited, man, for the opportunity to come and talk, you know, with your audience. 
For sure, man. Look, our goal at the Equity Tap, you guys know, is to help entrepreneurs raise your business IQ so that you can uh, tap into more of your business equity. There may be more time with your family. There may be more, you know, margins in your business. Whatever your equity looks like, our goal is to help you raise your IQ so that you can tap into that. I need you guys to do me a favor. Stay to the end of this interview. I'm going to be doing something different. I'm actually going to give you guys three of my takeaways from this interview. So if you guys kind of want to hear my perspective on this interview, make sure you watch it all the way through so that you can hear that. Man, look, Henry, I want to jump right into this, dude. Uh, you are, and I was thinking about this as I was preparing for the interview. I said, man, you are probably one of the uh, most noticeable African-American uh, lawyers here uh, in the city of Memphis, man. You you do a, a great job of advertising and marketing. Uh, so let's start there, man. What, what did the mindset come to really just kind of push yourself out there, man? Because you don't have to do that. A lot of mm -hmm. attorneys, you know, they pick up clients without even having to do that, man. Mm -hmm. But I know that you are uh, an attorney of the people, man. So talk to me a little bit about that mindset, man, of just kind of putting yourself out there. I mean, so if I if I take it just from an advertising uh, standpoint, kind of the way that all uh, went down is when I first started my law firm, maybe uh, a year after starting my law firm, I mean, I ended up getting a case that I shouldn't have had probably 12 years ago, you wow. know, because I just... You know, I was relatively new. I wasn't as experienced. I wasn't as, uh, you know, I, I wasn't as financially, you know, stable and able to really put the money into a case. But okay. uh, despite that, I was still able to get the policy limits. And a lot of it was just because I didn't know that I was supposed to be scared. You okay. know? <laughs> so, so I had that, that kind of that youth and that bravado and that allowed me to get the policy limits. Yeah. So rather early you know, in our career, in my, in my career, in my practice, you know, I'm, I'm sitting with like, maybe like half a million dollars, hmm. you know, uh, liquid. And okay. I basically, I go to my wife and my wife is uh, usually, you know, she's usually the one that's most conservative. And I'm like, look, you know, we got half a million. Yeah. We can pay off the house, pay off the student loans. Hmm. Uh, at this time, you know, the business, I was getting enough clientele as to where I could probably maintain a, uh, six figures uh revenue something like that okay you know around there and uh my wife was like go for it and mm. so i ended up putting the money back into the business you know okay. we, we really took a you know we really decided to take a swing for it and uh when i did that i ended up initially losing a lot of the money you know mm. just trying different types of advertising and okay. you know when you start a business People are going to come out of the woodwork. Uh, everyone is going to have, this is the solution for you. This is the magic bullet. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. guaranteed leads. <laughs> Opinions, uh, yeah. Guaranteed uh, will get you number one in Google, you know, after a day. Yeah. And so a lot of that was just test and error okay. uh, getting in there. And I knew I was going to have to be uh, advertising because I the primary area that I practice is personal injury. And okay. so personal injury is an extremely competitive area of law. Gotcha, gotcha. So the majority of attorneys who you see advertising, you know, they're advertising in personal injury. Gotcha. And if you're going to do it right and you're going to do it ethically, the only way that you could compete on a personal injury aspect is to put that money up and spend and go out there and advertise and reach the masses. Gotcha, gotcha. Talk to me about the personal injury side, man. Mm -hmm. um, what type of success have you seen for your clients? Like, what are some of the biggest success maybe you've seen? I oh, mean, well, we've had several, you know, million-dollar verdicts. Uh, oh, wow. You know, we've had multi-million-dollar verdicts, and uh, we have a lot of uh, cases. We have a, a 
relatively high volume. I would say we're one of the higher volume law firms in Memphis. Okay. But one of the things that we pride ourselves in is that we have a pre-litigation and a litigation department. So even okay. though we're rather high volume, we still take pride in really working up the litigation cases and working up those big cases the way that gotcha. we need them worked up. That's what's up, man. So so take me back just a little bit, man, because I think one of the things that you said that really struck uh, uh, interest with me is you said you were sitting on a half a million. A lot of people would think at that point, okay, we're good, you know, but you made that decision to reinvest it back into your law mm-hmm. firm. How did that pay dividends? Did you see a return off of that, or was it just a complete loss? Oh, man, it, it paid. It, it allowed it to, uh, you know, at that time, you know, when I did that, it was just me and I had uh, one paralegal, so okay. it, was, it was basically two of us. Yeah. And, you know, we were probably handling maybe at the time maybe 10, 11 cases. Okay. And, you know, we flip around now. We look at almost 100 employees. You know, we're wow. handling thousands of cases now. Yeah. And so it was definitely one of the best uh, investments that I ever made in yeah. my life, an investment uh, in myself. And so... Man, look, I've seen you... Uh, I've seen you kind of grow. Uh, I initially was introduced to you and your your practice when you guys were in Whitehaven. Uh, and now I see that you've moved on to a bigger location, man. You know, you said over 100 employees. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and we're still, I mean, I mean, we're still in the haven, you know. We're yeah. still right off of corporate drive. So, I mean, it's okay. technically, you know, that's, that's still Whitehaven right over there by Medtronic's. But we also have an office downtown and we also have one in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, okay. so we've expanded. Uh, we also have support out here in uh, Ghana. We actually have some people doing in some Ghana. support work. Yeah, we have a call center out there. Working Man, you're going to have to tell me how that came so, about. So, yeah. So, uh, it was a, it was definitely a, a slow process, okay. you know, building and growing. But having the opportunity to really have your own business and build it out and have your freedom and kind of, uh, you know, kind of have the freedom to kind of build your life the way that you want to live it, yeah. uh, I think that it was definitely uh, worthwhile. Okay, okay. We're going to come back to that Ghana piece. I feel like it's a little bit more there that I, I, we want to dive into, man. But talk to me about this whole management piece, man, because uh, we're talking to entrepreneurs. And, I, you know, I've been in a unique position to where I get the opportunity to rub elbows with individuals like you who have been extremely successful in your career. Mm-hmm. But I also talk to a lot of individuals who just at the starting point, they're trying to mm-hmm. figure out what's the next step. Mm-hmm. So when I hear individuals running organizations with that many employees, it's always intriguing. Like, how do you manage? all of that, man. How do you build culture with a team that's honest? I mean, I, I think a lot of it, it comes down to systems. It comes down right. to processes. It comes down uh, to having an ability to delegate certain work. I think yeah. a lot of times with the entrepreneurs, one of the biggest things that stops them from growing is that they refuse to let go. Mm. <laughs> you know, Break that they, down to me. I mean, they refuse to let go. They refuse to delegate, you know. Okay. So I'm just say, for instance, if I, um, you know, if I have a restaurant, if I have a biscuit company, mm-hmm. well, if I'm just content that no one can make the biscuits the way I can make the biscuits, yeah. ain't no use of me even teaching anyone to try to make the biscuits, even try to duplicate it. It's yeah. the pride. I'm holding on to this. This is me. Gotcha. Well, you know what? You're going to be good with your quality. Your quality is going to maintain the highest quality, yeah. but you're not going to have the ability to expand, okay. you know, because you've locked yourself into, you know, you've locked yourself into that space. Mm-hmm. And so it's uncomfortable, you know, at, at, at times, but one of the major things that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to be able to 
find the right people and yeah. you're going to have to be able to trust them to do their job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was one of the first things that maybe you realized that you had to delegate in order for the practice to grow? I mean, well, one of the things is I, I don't touch, I don't handle every single case. Yeah. You know, as the clientele began to grow, you know, there was just literally no way that I could answer every single phone. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Morgan and Morgan doesn't. Uh, you know, anybody else, like, they they don't. Once you grow and you expand, you're not able to do that. So for me, I think that was one of the hardest points, parts because I kind of built that business off of the personal relationships that I had with clients. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I worked with them. You know, I talked to their mama. I went into, you know, that jail, yeah. you know, with them to go see them uh, when I was doing criminal. Mm -hmm. And so that letting go of that aspect you know i've had clients who i'm you know ended up like they had me in their weddings and everything because yeah, it's wow. like that type of uh bond that you build with someone especially when you have this personal injury case that's yeah. lasting for a long time you're getting to know them and you're really going through this rough time together mm -hmm. so that was probably one of the hardest aspects you know for me to just uh you know not be on the day-to-day -day practice of every single case. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. That's dope. Look, man, how did you get into this, this, uh, the legal field, man? What's your, what's your background? What were you doing before this, or did you just jump out the gate doing this? Oh uh, man, well, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, I was born in Memphis. I grew okay. up in a, uh, in a Benton County, Mississippi. So okay. it's probably it's right outside of Holly Springs. So maybe forty-five minutes. I'm familiar with Holly Springs. Yeah. yeah. So you know, my neighborhood uh, was called the Dead End. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there, pretty much everyone, I was born during the crack epidemic. So, yeah. you know, when you looked around, that's what everyone did. Everyone there, you know, sold crack mm -hmm. or they smoked crack. And it felt like, you know, it was just, we were completely, we we were completely encompassed with that. And so, but I had a cousin from West Helena. I still have a cousin, uh, Vandal Bland. Okay. And he was an attorney and he was, you know, what you would call a dope boy attorney. He represented okay. a lot of uh, the uh, people who were getting uh, charges at that time. Gotcha. And so when I would see the dope boys, like they had old school cutlasses, you know, yeah. they had Chevys with the European. Mm -hmm. But my cousin Vandal, like he had a bubble eye Lexus, you know, mm -hmm. pearl white, yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, on chrome rims. Okay. And at that point, you know, one of the things is I was like, man, this is a difference. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a, different like like yeah i see you over here with this not full of money and stuff yeah. like that but man this is a this is a different thing okay and so uh you know that was probably one of the first ones who i kind of saw and it's a different type of uh a person having money and being success and it was in a legal realm and then i think that's kind of when a seed was planted okay and then uh you know, as I as I grew up, if I did see a lawyer, for me that was like seeing Kobe or LeBron, because that was mm. just like a that was like a superstar for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so uh, that's what drove me into. That's what had me uh, want to be an attorney. And so when I was 17, uh, I ended up going to the Air Force. I joined the Air okay. Force, and so I spent you know four years military intelligence, <laughs> and uh, you know we participate i was you know received awards operation enduring freedom and stuff like yeah. that after 9 11. Well, i had no idea you had a military background oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh my father was the navy okay. he was in the army and he went to the navy and he spent me to the air force so okay. he basically the way i knew i was gonna go to the air force like my dad was basically like son you don't have enough self-discipline you go yeah. to the military <laughs> and then that was it yeah. <laughs> and then you know so i so i, I went i was obedient and so um that was a great time. It really allowed me to be removed from the environment completely. Yeah. And I'm surrounded now by like-minded people. And, you know, it's 
it was a it was a it was a very good place for me to kind of uh, you know grow and mature. You know, okay. I've been kind of separated, and so at the meantime, while I was away and I'm in the military, almost literally all my cousins went to the penitentiary. All mm. my friends went to wow. the penitentiary. Like they were going through it. Yeah, yeah. You know, while I was in that military, and so <clears throat> that helped me. And I, and I always knew I wanted to go to law school. When it came time for me to uh, uh, reenlist, it was very hard to not. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have definitely seen myself. I enjoyed the military. I could yeah. have seen myself, you know, doing the 20. And they offered me like a $60,000 reenlistment bonus. Okay. And yeah, they was giving me, yeah. yeah. And they were giving me, uh, they gave me orders to Nellis, which is in Las Vegas. So okay. I would have been 22 with a $60,000 bonus. <laughs> in, Vegas. Know, in Vegas. In Vegas. <laughs> but uh, my heart was set on uh, going to law school. Yeah. And man, that's, I think that's a good transition point, man, because uh, you said uh, that you saw, you know, a relative was the uh, quote unquote dope boy uh, attorney, man. And just through keeping up with you and some of the work that you've been doing, I know that there's a heart for the African-American community. Um, tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing in the community when it pertains to injustice, because a lot of us don't know much about the law side of things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we, we do learn from the streets, depending on where you grew up, how to how to interact. But a lot of times, as an entrepreneur, there's a whole different code that goes mm-hmm. along with understanding the law and stuff like that, man. Mm-hmm. So kind of give us some advice, man, as entrepreneurs. Well, first, before we even go into the entrepreneur side, man, talk to me a little bit about your passion for the community. Okay, yeah. I mean, so, you know, I, I would say this is something that's definitely uh, in the bloodline. So my grandfather, Henry E. Reeves the third, uh, Henry E. Reeves Sr., uh, he was a civil rights leader out there in Benton County, and he was during the Freedom Summer okay. uh, when they had the, uh, uh, you know, when they had the voting drives and, and things like that. He was a secret president of the NAACP in Benton County. Hmm. My, my great-great-grandfather, my grandmother's father, he was the president of the NAACP in Holly Springs, Mississippi. Okay. And my uh, grandfather also was the president of the Citizens, of the Citizens Club. So even back then, uh, he was focused on the economic disparity and the way that, uh, you know, blacks have to endure basically economic terrorism. Yeah, yeah. And so that was kind of instilled from a very early age. Like we heard about, you know, my grandfather doing speeches with Huey P. Newton or, yeah. or Aaron Henry coming and eating at the house or, you know, <laughs> them uh, uh, working with Fannie Lou Hamer and things like that. So I, I, I kind of was uh, blessed to kind of uh, be given this, uh, to be given this uh, worldview yeah, that's yeah, coming yeah. out. And then when I got older and I, I still really didn't see as much of the inequity mm-hmm. until I actually had money. Okay. <laughs> because what, what was the sign? Because, <laughs> because like sometimes when you grow up, you know, in, in certain environments, you begin to think like everything is normal. Like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's normal for everyone, all their family to be going to jail or yeah. Or you know, people getting killed, or you know, uh, uh, people smoking crack. It's normal to have these type of financial struggles. Yeah, it's yeah. Still, you know, where you can't afford to do this, you can't afford to do that. And you know, once you get older, and then you kind of look and you can see different uh, socioeconomic. There are different, you know, yeah. socioeconomic sets, mm-hmm. and everybody's life isn't the exact same way that you and the people who you grew up with 
you know, it's it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. I know, man, you've had a lot of exposure. And I'm, I'm a real big believer that exposure, you know what I'm saying, is key, especially in our community. Because like you said, the environment that we see sometimes is just dilapidated buildings, it's drugs, it's crime. And, you know, it's very hard to break out of that mindset of what's possible. But you going to, you know what I'm saying, the Air Force and being able to travel, you know what I'm saying, I know that exposed you to a lot of different things and just the exposure of your grandparents, you know yeah, what I'm saying, yeah. being in the civil rights movement and stuff yeah. like that. I know that just has to widen your perspective, man. What is the biggest thing that you think that holds the African-American community back when it comes to, I know that the legal side, there's some injustices that goes on, but then there's some financial, you know what I'm saying, things, because you said that once your financial bracket changed, you realize that, whoa, things are completely different. Like, what, what is that gap that keeps people I mean, from jumping that, over? I think it's, it's, it's pretty much two things. I think it's, you know, it's a lack of resources. Yeah. You know, it's a lack of resources and it's a lack of control. Okay. And so when we talk about it's a, a lack of resources, it's hard for us to... It, it, it's hard for us to really, you know, look at our situation, you know, as African Americans, and be honest about our, our our situation, and then formulate plans to address and fix our our situation. Okay. You know, on a on a grand scheme, if we're thinking about what am I going to eat tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if we're thinking about this pressure of this MLGW bill, this pressure of this cell phone bill, this yeah. pressure of this. Man, my radiator is leaking, man. Yeah, I gotta yeah. get to work next week. So I gotta find <laughs> I gotta make something shake this weekend yeah. to get this ready because I just, you know, I just started this job. I'm still on probation. And so that that lack of uh, resources in the situation that we're in, it makes it really hard for, yeah. for you to for you to reach, you know, your people sometime, man, mm -hmm. because you're just in a survival mode. You yeah, know? yeah. There, there's there's so much in survival mode. And so I, I think that Anything that we're going to do in order to help our people, you know, recognize and realize exactly where they are and mm -hmm. formulate a plan and a strategy to get ourselves out of the situation that yeah. we were put in purposely, I think it has to start with us. Um, you know, they got to do it on a, they got to do it on a full stomach. You know, okay. it's hard to do. It's hard for to to get someone to be involved in a revolution when they hungry. Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a that's man, that's a great perspective. It's hard to get somebody involved in a revolution when they hungry. Yeah, they, like they don't want to hear like all that man, no one wants to hear all that, you know, stuff you're talking about, man. Like I'm trying to I, I can't see past tomorrow. Yeah. I can't see past today. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about generations. You're talking about fixing something it's been going on for 400, 500 yeah, years. Yeah. Like, you want us to carry that and focus on that? Yeah. Like, man, like, my bandwidth is just surviving for the day. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but the thing about it is, is that once you can get them out of that survival mode, once people can be out of that, you know, survival mode, then from that point, now we can talk about the future. Yeah. Now we can talk about plans, strategies. Now we can talk about... Let's, what we're gonna what are we gonna do to make sure that your grandchild doesn't go through every single thing that yeah, you yeah, went yeah, to yeah. that your great grandchild doesn't go through you know everything you went to yeah, yeah. and then uh, secondly apart from resources I said that we also lack control okay and so you know in America uh, you know our system of government is a federalism and so okay. basically we have three branches of the government we're talking about legislative executive and judicial yeah 
And in order for us to truly have control mm-hmm. of our situation and ourselves, we have to have basically control of all branches. Because okay. if you don't have control of all of the branches, then you don't have any control. Your okay. control okay. is just an illusion. So we'll mm-hmm. just do an example if we break it down is uh, we've had a black president, mm-hmm. right? So you got Barack Obama, he's a black president. And so, you know, for black people, you would say, hey, we have control of the executive branch. Yeah. However, what happened? We didn't have control of the legislative branch. Yeah. So even when Barack Obama was trying to pass a lot of things or pass laws, he couldn't pass any laws because we didn't have control of yeah. the legislative yeah. branch. And so uh, we have to formulate ways in which we can get uh, control. And yeah. ultimately, that's what we have to start thinking of as a people is, is this is not something that we need other folks to fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for yeah. Us. this is something that we need to have control. And people, when they people ask me, and uh, you know, a lot of them, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, white friends, liberal, and they're well-meaning, and yeah. they're like, you know, well, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? And in a sense, you know, that's somewhat condescending because the thing that, that you would do to help is up the resources and give yeah. us control. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like man, we are we're, we're a man. Yeah, you know we're grown. <laughs> you know we're we're men. Yeah. you know we're Americans. Mm-hmm. You know just like everybody else. And yeah. so the biggest thing that we need is going to be man up the resources and allow us and give us control. Yeah. So like here in Tennessee, you're in Memphis. You're like okay, this is 65 percent black city. Or, you know it's a relatively black city. However, mm-hmm. Memphis is beholden to Tennessee. Yeah, and so. Memphis has a set of specific issues that really affect Memphis, yeah. and they might not affect, you know, some parts of rural East Tennessee, you mm-hmm. know, the same way. So there's yeah, certain yeah, yeah, rules absolutely. and laws and regulations that we can make, that mm-hmm. we can pass, there's certain strategies that we can take yeah. that can address the specific things that are hindering Memphis to okay. help us build it, but we're always beholden to the Tennessee legislature, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Tennessee is... A racist state. Yeah, I mean, unabashedly, mm-hmm. you know, like they recently, uh, you know, they had a uh, they had a, a bill they were trying to pass to eliminate like the use of slavery. Yeah, and, and, and they had people who were fighting, you know, who were fighting against that. Yeah, I mean, we kind of see just what happened with with Justin Pearson in the yeah, Tennessee yeah, yeah. Three, and and kind of you know the way they move, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the way they move uh, uh, with it. So. There has to be some type of solution that we can get some protection, even if it involves federal intervention. Yeah. Like, we need protection from the state of Tennessee. Okay. Mm, that's an interesting perspective, man. And I got to dive deeper and ask, in your opinion, what's the solution? But are you familiar with, I know you probably are, Claude Anderson, uh, Power Numics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Definitely. He wrote, uh, I don't know which book he mentioned it in, but he talked about the five structure building to building uh, economic wealth in the African-American. Powernomics, I believe. Probably Powernomics. I've read all of them. I just can't remember which one. But he said at the foundation, it's uh, economics, right? So that goes to the redistribution of wealth. He talked about our communities going broke or bankrupt at 5 o'clock because we don't own any of the, you know what I'm saying, the, the businesses in there. So when these people close, mm-hmm. they're taking their money back to their community. Mm-hmm. Then that second level he talked about was politics. Mm-hmm. Then the third floor was legislation. Then that fourth floor, which is uh, kind of what I'm doing, media, and then the fifth floor is education, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was a, a phenomenal way of breaking it down. But in your opinion, bro, what, what do you think the steps would be for us to start pulling ourselves up, you know what I'm saying, out of survival mode, 
uh, and start going into, you know, thriving. Man, it's going to be a hot take right here, man. Talk to me. It's going to be controversial, man. Oh, it's okay, they bro. They're going to get mad at me when I say this, man. Hey. But I'm going to tell you, honestly, one of the biggest things and one of the starting points, it has to be faith. Okay. It has to be faith. And so the reason why I say it has to be faith is because I believe that any solution, you know, any solution that we take is going to require unity. Okay. And I think that the thing that is going to, is going to require unity mm -hmm. and it's going to require fearlessness. Okay. And the thing that can encompass that would be a proper utilization of faith. Okay. And so if we look at it, you know, people, a lot of times when we talk about Christianity, a lot of people look at it and say, man, that's what the white man used to get you over here. That's what the white man used to brainwash you. It's yeah. a white man religion. And and it and it has been used, you know, in in lots of areas, you know, in negative ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they've used to justify, you know, horrible things. But uh, in reality, though, if we look at just the facts, yeah, you know, and if you if you look at just the facts, every single civil rights movement are the civil rights leaders who who made movements here in America, yeah, like. All of us has been basically Christian based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frederick Douglass, mm -hmm. Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King Jr., yeah, yeah. Nat Turner, mm -hmm. <laughs> like everybody, you know, was that. And yeah. there's a and there's a, a reason for that because there's something deep that we can kind of, uh, you know, there's something deep that we can kind of tap into. Yeah. And if it's done, but it has to be cleaned up. Religion is just, you know, no different from. You know, then a, a lot of other things. I mean, it can you can have bad religion. Yeah, like you yeah. can have stuff inserted in it, and it's not pure. For sure. You know, sure. it's like a uh, religion is just you know when people start adding these different little rules and laws and doctrine into it, it's like putting fentanyl in it, man. Yeah. Like they're spiking it. And yeah. It's, and it's you know, and it and it causes you know division. Mm -hmm. So if you have if you have a faith, if you have a return to faith, a yeah. return and a focus to faith, but one that's devoid of, you know, all these different like laws and okay. stuff like like laws and rules. If you do this, you're going to hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. If you're gay, you're going to hell. Yeah. If if you listen to rap music, if you smoke weed, if you do this, if you do that, boop, yeah. boop, 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 you're going to hell. Because the thing about it is every single, first of all, biblically, that's not, you know, that's not what, what our Bible yeah. says. It's all man, and, yeah. And the thing is, the more that you put these different laws and rules and different traditions, you know, you ain't saved if you don't speak in tongues. You ain't, yeah. like, the, the more that you put those in, like, what that does is it, it creates division. Yeah. And so what you want to do, though, is if you can just focus on faith, that's really based on uh, the gospel of grace, which yeah. is basically like, mm. man, which, and this is what folks hate to hear, man. Yeah. Really, the Bible say, man, all you got to do is really believe that Jesus died upon the cross for yeah. our sins, and he was God's son. Mm -hmm. So, and, and our faith in that, you know, assures us eternal life. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it assures us the gift of salvation and it ensures us that we have a right standing, yeah. you know, with God. But people can't accept that. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, people can't accept that. Like that's and that's it to it. Yeah. And people want to add, add, add. You know, nah, but you got to do your part. Yeah. Nah, but you got to. <laughs> nah, but but yeah, you got to do that. You got to maintain. Like okay. they want to add to it because yeah. and basically what they're doing is they're saying that Jesus' sacrifice was not sufficient. Mm. Like Jesus' sacrifice wasn't sufficient. It's also you got to do this though yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But also if you out here sleeping, then if you out here sleeping with women out here, then yeah. then that means that you going ahead. Like it's always something. Something. Yeah. It's always something thing is added and I think that uh, there needs to be a refocus on that that faith because that faith is going to because here goes the thing in Memphis I, I, I talked to someone else about this uh, uh, you know earlier but if the reason why I say one well, of the faith is a key okay. is because even if we were poor yeah if everybody in Memphis was a Christian mm -hmm. and truly believed that there was a God yeah. or that, that Jesus can take care of it. And you know what? You ain't got to go rob this person because guess what? Jesus will provide a way. Yeah. You ain't yeah. got to finesse this person. You ain't got to bust this person head. Yeah. You ain't got to go out here and get your vengeance because vengeance yeah. is mine, said the Lord. And, yeah, they, yeah. And, they, and they listening to the Great Commission and say, I'm supposed to love my brother and my sister. You know, like I'm supposed to love my neighbor like myself. Yeah. Like, and if they had that true, true faith, you know, like that, man, we could live in heaven in yeah, Memphis. For sure. Like, like even Absolutely. right now, even right now, man, how would it feel for you to be able to just go to any part of Memphis right now? You just walk around, leave your car door unlocked. Yeah. You know, and you move. You got no fear. Like, if we were good to each other, yeah. and we were not out here, you know, killing and robbing and taking. Yeah. And all that is. You can't do that and have faith in God. You yeah. do that because you don't have faith. Because mm -hmm. you feel like, I got to do it. Yeah, yeah. I got to figure out a way to make this play. That's that fear piece. You know, that's that That's that fear piece. Yeah. But faith conquers. You know, faith could conquer that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, not only can faith, you know, conquer that, faith conquer that fear, like faith can also protect you from selling out. Yeah. Because, like... If you get that faith right, you'll be like play a fly. You'll be yeah. like nobody needs nobody. Yeah. And, yeah. and so when someone comes to you and it's like, man, look, man, I know you're supposed to vote this way, mm -hmm. Senator. Yeah. I know you're supposed <laughs> to do this, city councilman. But don't you think your kids would do better in Lausanne than they would do, you know, yeah. over there at John P. Freeman? I'll send them. I'll go and send them to Lausanne right yeah. now. We'll give you this money. We'll give you this. But, man, when you have faith. A lot of times you be like, man, my father gonna take care of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I don't need you. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, break break the bond of who I am. Yeah, man. So I feel like, I feel like that that faith piece is a start, yeah. and I'm thinking that you know that's something that should also be pushed into the kids at an early early age because yeah. there's also you know wisdom pieces. You know, there's, there's a lot of wisdom yeah. that is also, you know, in that. Yeah, bro, you you preaching, man, and and basically what you're saying is the uh, the the golden rule, man. Treat people like you want to be treated, right? If you wouldn't want somebody to break into your car, then don't break into somebody else's car. And it's interesting because I was having this conversation with a friend, and the topic of you know some of the car burglary came up, mm -hmm. and it kind of goes back to what we were originally talking about. It's like, man, once you ask somebody why enough times, right, you get to the to the bottom of why they're doing what it is. And a lot of cases, it's the resources, right? Mm -hmm. These people are struggling. They're in survival mode. So and the number one rule to life is survive, right? Mm -hmm. So if you got it and I'm hungry, 
there has to be some type of bridge there and there's some right and some wrongs that have been right right that cause us to have to always be in that uh in the survival mode mm-hmm. transition a little bit man um I know you like to open the doors for young people, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know you're doing, you know, different programming and things like that through film, just a whole lot of avenues. Talk to me about some of some of that, man, some of the work that you're doing to open up doors for young people. I mean, you know, well, one of the things with my law firm, I'm, I'm proud that over the years I've gave more black attorneys their first start than, wow. you know, any of the plaintiff's law firms pretty much combined. So wow. we have lots of people. Bro, congratulations and, and, on that. Oh, thank you, man. That's huge. And, and at this point, like, I've almost seen, like, a, uh, you know, almost full circle. I have people who, you know, me as the mock trial coach at Whitehaven High School. I have people okay. who I coached as a mock trial in high school mm-hmm. who worked for the Reeves Law Firm now, wow. who went to law school, you know, and they now you know, dope, work, work yeah. for the Reeves Law Firm. And so, you know, those... Uh, you know those types of those types of things, opportunities. Because I know that when I was out, the reason why I started my law firm yeah. is after I switched uh, sides from the defense to the plaintiff. Like no one gave me an opportunity, okay. and so I definitely pride myself in being able to give people opportunities. You know, from that aspect, yeah. Uh, we have. Uh, I'm very excited about a sports program, uh, AAU program that we've started. It's the uh, uh, Memphis Revolution. Okay, and so. You know, there we're going to be reaching the youth, you know, catching them very early on in their life and pouring into them. We're going to have emphasis with basketball, soccer, and baseball. Okay. You know, we want to kind of expand. We want to kind of expand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, baseball is a good one. I played baseball in high school, man, so that was was my sport. And it's actually the highest paid team sport, so you're thinking right along the right lines, man. Look, everyone is not, everyone ain't 6'9 jumping out the gym. Yeah, for sure. Like some people are regular human size. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so the, the baseball, when we talk about it, like our grandparents and stuff like that, you know, they, baseball was like the sport. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, I'm talking about, I had uncle, I had an uncle, uh, Cottrell Reeves, who was in the Negro Leagues. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had one of my sons, he was, I don't know where he got the, he wanted to play baseball, but yeah. I have a son, you know, he wants to play baseball. And I think that the kids should have options. Yeah, for sure, man. Look, this has been a it's been a dope conversation, man. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I knew because I've heard you talk. I knew your mindset. Like I didn't even ask a lot of questions just because you rolling on, on a lot of the topics that I like to talk about, man. And these are the conversations that I have with my friends all the time, you know what I'm saying? And it's just that's one of the reasons I want to start this project. Like let's turn the com- the cameras on and capture these conversations because mm-hmm. to see somebody like you that have succeeded at this level, you know what I'm saying, talk about these issues. In some cases, it just adds way more credibility than some other people that talks about this, man. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what's next for you, bro. I know I've seen the uh, the, the film uh, Queen Rising. It oh, was yeah. dope, man. How did that project come 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 oh, about? Oh man, that that project that that happened when we had the pandemic, you okay. know. And so the courts were closed down for like two years. Yeah. And I had all this film equipment, and I I had just won a I won an Emmy for a commercial. Yeah, congratulations so was, on that, man. Thank you. And so I. I was I was feeling myself, and so that was a uh, definitely a passion project. You okay. really in loved, uh, really loved it. Uh, we got to work with a lot of the local talent here. Yeah, um, pretty much all local talent. Uh, even the uh, even the uh, actress, 
you know, our lead actress, April Hill, mm -hmm. even though she's a Hollywood actress and she's out there in Hollywood, like originally yeah. she's from Whitehaven, mm -hmm. you know, she's from right there. And our lead, uh, you know, actor, you know, Zayman Glasper, he was from, uh, he's from Orange Mound, even yeah, though yeah, he, yeah. even though he does film out there in Atlanta and our, our, um, our director, you know, he's from right here in Memphis by way of Coldwater, Mississippi. So okay. it's, it just feel like it was a lot of local, you know, mm -hmm. people and, and everything came together. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. And we're very proud of that film. It's a great movie. It was. It was good. Uh, uh, we're going to be, uh, you know, we're trying to show it at the uh, Black Film Festival okay. in June out here in Miami. And we're still working and looking at the options of what we're going to do as far as the distribution from that aspect. But once that gets out the way and it's done, we have two, three projects that yeah. we, you know, have in mind that we want to go ahead and put in the hopper. Man, I think it would uh, surprise people how much goes into filmmaking. And I don't want to put you on the spot and you have to say an exact number, but how much did that pump back into the local economy just by you stepping out and saying, I'm going to do this film? Oh man, I know, I know we, it's going to be in the seven figure. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot. We had a lot of people who were working for us. And I think that that may be one of the most, uh, as far as from a professional aspect, any of my professions, that, that probably was one of the most satisfying feelings I had mm. because, uh, I definitely have a heart for the actors and the actresses and, and all the different artists, you know, uh, set designers, sound, and everything. Yeah. Because a lot of them, that art, like, that's their gift to the world. And they sure. want to do that. And they love it. And they want to do it. And they just want to have an opportunity to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by making this film, by making it right here in Memphis, uh, you gave them a chance to share their gift, you know, with the world right here at their hometown. And they really showed out in just the... Uh, just the joy that they had yeah. in, in making it and sharing it with their people. I felt I felt really, really good about that. Yeah, man. It was dope. So I came to the premiere. It was packed out. Mm -hmm. you, you guys had a packed out theater, man. Yeah. And uh, I'm real good friends with Princeton. So yeah. it was dope to watch you guys, man, at the end of the movie, just kind of share the perspective on how it all came together. Mm -hmm. And it just added more context to, you know what I'm saying, the film and stuff like that, man. So congratulations on that oh, Emmy for a commercial. Yeah. Man, how did that come about? Oh, man. We just... The uh, commercials, you know, we always just had a, a good imagination and we thought yeah. and we had a good team and we had a good concept. Uh, we wanted to do a commercial. One of the, the ones won Emmy was I was just thinking, you know, um, Reeves Law Firm uh, built by strong women. Because I, when I looked around at it, uh, I'm the face of the Reeves Law Firm and and people know me and I'm on the commercials and I was the initial one handling the cases. But yeah. I mean, but my wife, you know, she played a, a crucial part. She came, uh, maybe she came several years ago and she's came in and she's helped with HR. She's helped with training. She's helped with yeah. clients and things like that. And a lot of my, my best paralegals and mm -hmm. some of my best attorneys, you know, were all, all women and uh, the leads of my departments, the majority of the leads of my department are women, the majority of my yeah. staff is women. And so uh, we had a we had a concept of, we just wanted to say, just lay it out, like Reeves Law Firm is built by strong women, you yeah. know, just like America. And so um, that, that resonated. And, and so we were awarded for that concept and that idea. Man, that's crazy, dude. I know, 
I know that had to open up even more doors for you, man, and shine more light on the work that you guys are doing. And I want to make another transition uh, because we are talking to entrepreneurs. Uh, I know I mentioned it earlier in the conversation, but, man, talk to me from a legal standpoint, entrepreneurs. Uh, so you got people that's on the other side of this camera that may be thinking, all right, how do I start my business? What is that infrastructure? Legally, what should they be thinking about? Because this is a conversation that a lot of startup, African-American startup entrepreneurs mm-hmm. just are not privy to. So mm-hmm. what, what, what should we be considering when we're structuring our organization legally? I mean, I, I think that if we want to talk from a legal aspect, you want to just think what is the proper form for your business. Okay. Uh, you're looking at it from a tax perspective. But, you know, more importantly, one of the things that you're looking at is you want to be able to have yourself protected from liability gotcha. because there's a chance that you're going to have employees, your employees could do something, anyone can do something, and you don't want to uh, have your business have something that happens there, receive some type of judgment, and now you end up losing your home or, yeah, or you yeah. lose your resources. So so that is uh, one of the aspects that you're thinking about is just asset, is just asset protection. Yeah. But one advice that I would give to entrepreneurs as they're starting is to make sure that you just lay out your plan, man. Okay. So you got to lay out your plan. And a key, key, key for an entrepreneur is you have to have self-awareness. Okay. So you have to have a level of humility, but yet and still be completely confident in yourself. Okay. And you have that humility has to come in because you have to be able to be like, look, man, I could do this and this and this. Yeah. I'm not good at marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, or I can do this and this and this. Yeah. I'm not good at finance. Gotcha. Or I can do this and this and this. But I'm not good at operations. Yeah. And so if you can give an honest assessment and you can really find what your blind spot is or what your weak spot is, you're going to have a complete advantage yeah. because now you're coming mm-hmm. into it already knowing and yeah. you can identify a person to fill in for that blank for you. Yeah. You know, you can find, you might make the best, you know, you might make the best steak in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you might make the best steak in the world, but you know nothing about marketing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or you may be the best cook in the world, but you know nothing about running the front of the house. Yeah. You know yeah. nothing about the customer service aspect. You know nothing about procuring the best deals for the products that you're buying. For sure. You know, so, so you have to make sure that you look at yourself and you give an honest assessment and then you fill in, mm-hmm. you know, where necessary. For sure, for sure. All right, man, look, dude, this has been an a, a education lesson. Uh, and I know we didn't get a chance to dive into everything, man, because uh, as I did my research on you, so many different facets of what you bring to the table, just within this hour, we weren't able to cover everything, man. So uh, one of the things I like to always ask guests, man, is this, as you continue to grow, as you continue to roll out more projects, is it possible for us to get you back on the platform, man, so man, people can keep up with you? Most definitely, man. For sure, man. This is... Uh, Man, this is this content, uh, this podcast. Man, I feel that you're definitely, you know, serving the people. I appreciate so it, man. I, I wish the best for you, and I know it's gonna blow, and I know it's gonna grow. Yeah, man. Look, as we're closing out, and I appreciate that, man. That's that's definitely encouraging. Uh, I want people to be able to keep up with you, so uh, leave them with your contact information. And like I said, you've given out so much game already. Any last closing advice that you have for entrepreneurs? That'll be great. Man, listen, I hope you guys uh, got a lot out of this interview. I know I did. Uh, We didn't get a chance to dive into a lot of the questions that I had prepared, but 
the conversation was just so good. I wanted to let it flow, man, because I knew that these are the things that's going to move us forward as a community, as a culture, especially as entrepreneurs. What I need for you guys to do, uh, do me a favor, hit subscribe, uh, turn on the notifications. If you're enjoying conversations like this and you want to continue to get them, turn on the notifications so that anytime we release content, you'll be the first ones to get it. I'm going to put uh, Attorney Reeves, all of his information down below in the description. Do me a favor. If you found value out of it, Go ahead, uh, follow him on social media uh, and lock him in. And if you have any legal questions that's pertaining to personal injury or anything, I know he's a great resource in the community. Reach out to his team. That's what they're there for. Look, man, again, I appreciate it. I know you got an extremely busy schedule. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come talk to the Equity Tab Network, man. So do me a favor. Let people know how they can keep up with you. And any closing advice you have, man, the floor is yours. Hey, well, to keep up with me, you can follow me on social media. Uh, uh, you'll have my address will be linked in below. It's going to be uh, Henry E. Reeves III, Facebook, and also Reeves Law Firm on Facebook. For Instagram, it's Who's Your Lawyer, H-O-O-S-I-E-R Lawyer, 901, and uh, Reeves Law Firm also on Instagram. And so one thing that I would say uh, for an entrepreneur um, and advice that I would give you is be very, very careful who you bring into your business. Yeah. Uh, and when you know that it's time for them to go, it's time for them to go. Yeah. Man, that's dope. Look, I can't think of no better way to close it out, man. Congratulations, bro, on all the... I'm real big on giving people they, they flowers, man. Congratulations on all the success. Keep doing your thing, man. You're, you're an inspiration. You you know, me and you just recently met not too long ago, but I've been watching you, you know, to see the things that you're doing as an African-American, man, leading. Uh, it inspires me, man. So kudos to you, bro. I want to give you your flowers. Keep doing what you're doing. And again, thank you for coming out, man, and sharing with us. All right, thank you. All right, bro.